You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Parishioners everywhere smile inwardly when their pastor says this phrase. In conclusion... Now, on behalf of pastors everywhere, I just want to say, it's hard to land the plane sometimes. I get it. There's a lot that needs to be said, and you get excited, and it's hard to wind things down. And for that reason, pastors are sometimes called long-winded. But in our text this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the preacher, as Solomon calls himself, brings things to a conclusion and brings this book, this study to a conclusion. And Solomon has some poignant things to say as he winds down and ties all of his thoughts together. And these these poignant things are things that demand our attention if we're going to get the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the last chapter in this Old Testament book, this wonderful piece of wisdom literature. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we'll begin reading in verse 1. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Just a quick heads up, uh, after we finish Ecclesiastes, uh, on Sunday mornings we're going to do a few other things and and look at some various places in God's Word. And after a few weeks of that, uh, we will begin a study through the New Testament book of Ephesians. And I'm very excited about that. I love the book of Ephesians, and we'll start journeying through that together shortly. But this morning we're going to finish Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Look there in verse 1. The Bible says... Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, and the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the windows are dimmed, And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and the one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. 
Besides being wise, verse 9 says, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, the conclusion, all has been heard. Here it is. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, what a, what a joy, what a privilege to gather with my faith family to fix, to fix our eyes upon you. To sing of your great faithfulness. To remind ourselves that you are our living hope. Lord, what a joy. And now, Lord, to come to this moment where we open our Bibles. Knowing that you are speaking to us through your word. Applied to our heart by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come expectantly. Lord, we come with with open hearts. Asking you to work, asking you to transform, asking you to change us. So we can leave today different than when we walked in. Lord, so that we can leave today more in love with Jesus than when we walked in. We love you today, we praise you. We ask that you would place your hand upon us as we study your word. And we ask and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, we've been journeying through this book, listening to Solomon, who was given supernatural wisdom. And in this book, Solomon sounds a warning. And he comes at that warning from different directions. He practices some philosophical meandering. He shares some pithy proverbs and, and makes some very direct uh, statements. Uh, and, and so through these different means, Solomon is trying to make one major point. And if you miss this point, you've missed the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon wants the reader to understand, the hearer to understand that a life without God is a wasted life. It doesn't matter what you achieve. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. It doesn't matter what you acquire. If you journey through this life without the Lord, you are living a vain, fruitless, empty life. And Solomon makes that point over and over and over again through this book. And now the preacher basically says, in conclusion. 
And unlike other preachers, he lands the plane pretty quickly. So I want to... I want to sum up, really, the book of Ecclesiastes by looking at these final statements in chapter 12. And it's all based upon the theme of the book. A life without God is a wasted life. Therefore, here are the three takeaways. If you understand a life without God is a wasted life, here are the three things you need to keep in mind. Number one, a life without God is a wasted life. Therefore, remember your Creator now. That word now is very important. Remember your creator now. Now notice what he says there in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. I, I told you that uh, when we started this book that Solomon has as one of his overarching purposes evangelism. He's trying to get people's attention, particularly young people it seems, so that they will learn the lessons he had to learn through his life. So that instead of putting God off and, and, and living a life without the Lord, they would choose to live with God in their youth and throughout their life. And so the first takeaway is this. Because a life without God is a wasted life, we should remember our Creator now. In other words, we shouldn't go one more day without a vibrant relationship with God. Why? Well, in verses 2 through 7, he tells us why. In verses 2 through 7, there are, uh, there's a string of different metaphors that Solomon offers to describe aging and physical deterioration. And he's saying to, to the youth, he's saying, listen, you won't always have opportunity to serve the Lord. There's a time coming when you will physically deteriorate and you will die. That, that's the point that he's making. He's saying, use the opportunity that you have now. And so look at these metaphors he strings together, really to speak of the aging process and, and the fact that uh, we're not going to live forever, the fact that we are mortal. And, and the overarching metaphor here is a metaphor of a, of a household that is deteriorating. But, but look what it says there in verse 2. He says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth before, verse 2, the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. Scholars believe that the keeper of the house refers to either your, your hands or your arms. The, the keeper of the house was someone who provided uh, protection from, from evildoers, protection from thieves or robbers. And, and so scholars believe this probably speaks of someone's uh, uh, hands or arms. And then he mentions there the, the strong men in verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Again, scholars believe this speaks of a person's shoulders or their legs, that which supports them. And then he says, the grinders cease because they are few. Uh, again, this, this probably refers to people's teeth. And then he mentions windows in verse 3. Who look through the, the windows are dim. This speaks of vision. This speaks of someone's eyesight. The, the dimming eyesight over time. He mentions the doors in verse 5. On the street are shut. This could refer to a person's ears. He says there uh, in uh, verse, verse, uh, verse 5 that the... The almond tree blossoms. 
An almond tree gives off white blossoms. So this probably refers to aging to the extent where you begin to turn gray. And so there are different metaphors here. And, and the final metaphor just speak of an overall general decay of physical strength. Look what it says there in verse 5. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms. The grasshopper drags itself along. The desire falls because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. And then he wants to say that, that after we physically deteriorate, there, there is certain death. That, that, that phrase eternal home speaks of, of shale, the place of the dead. It's not talking about heaven here. It's saying that we all are going to a place where we will face death. And then he says in verse 6, to again speak graphically of death or in a picturesque way. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken. Life is precious like a silver cord or, or a golden bowl, but the bowl will break. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Here's the, the point that Solomon is making. And again, he's using some very striking language to get our attention. If this life is all that you have, you can expect you're going to age and die, and that's it. What a waste. If you just live on this earth and you age and die, and that's all, that's vanity. That's the point that he's making. So going all the way back to verse 1, here's the point. Don't live life just to age and die. Live life in relationship with your creator. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. The brevity of life and the surety of death are offered as incentives to action. And here's what I want you to understand. This is in your notes. Opportunities to experience God by knowing him and serving him are limited. In other words... You're one day closer to your appointment with, with mortality than you were yesterday. Amen? And so time is running out for you to enjoy God, to walk with Him and talk with Him and live in relationship with Him. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth now. Dwayne Garrett, the Old Testament scholar, writes, To forget the creator of youth is to invite bitter regrets and an empty existence in old age. So here's the point that Solomon is trying to make. Are you listening? Don't put off embracing the Lord one more day. If you don't know the Lord in a personal way, if you don't have a personal relationship with God, don't put it off. Remember him today. That's the point that Solomon is making. You say, well, how do I remember my creator? How do I embrace my creator? It's, it's only through Christ. In fact, over in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way that you remember your creator. Jesus is the way that you enter into a relationship with God. Jesus is the way that you embrace the Lord. In fact, I want you to fast forward to the very end of this chapter. Look what it says in verse 14. The last verse in the entire book, 
For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And you say, why is he ending the book talking about judgment? That's not very cheerful. Why does he end with that? I like the way Philip Graham Ryken says it. He says, Ecclesiastes does not end with a promise of grace, but with the warning of judgment. Nevertheless, this book has the gracious purpose of pointing us to the gospel. If it is true that God will bring everything into judgment, then it is desperately important for us to make sure that we will be found righteous on that awesome and momentous day. The only way to be sure, listen, is to entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, who alone has the power to save us from the wrath of God. In other words, Solomon ends with the bad news judgment is coming. So that we will embrace the good news. Salvation is available. Salvation is available only through Christ. And by the way, just anecdotally or parenthetically rather, it's one of the reasons I don't understand preachers that never talk about sin. Because if they never talk about sin and judgment, then everybody thinks they're basically okay. I'm okay, you're okay. Why would I need a Savior? Why would I need to run to Jesus? I'm okay. You told me I'm great. The Bible is very clear. We're not okay. We have sinned against a perfectly holy God. We deserve his his wrath and his punishment and his judgment. But God loves us so much he sent his only son to come to this earth and take God's judgment in our place, to take the wrath of God that we deserve. He died for our sins because he loves us. He rose from the grave. He defeated death itself, and he is mighty to save any sinner that sees their need and turns to God through Christ. So Solomon's point is, don't live a wasted life. Choose him now. Don't go another day without remembering your creator. I believe Solomon wrote this later in his life. And if you study Solomon's life, you know that even though he was granted supernatural wisdom, he blew it over and over again. He made a lot of mistakes. And so looking back over his life, he could say to younger folks, don't do what I did. I tried to experience life through acquiring wisdom, through work, through wealth, through wine, through women. And I thought I would find life in those things, but they were all empty and vain. Don't do what I did. Choose your creator today, now. Don't go one more day. That's the point that he's making. So number one. A life without God is a wasted life. Therefore, remember your creator when? Now. Number two. A life without God is a wasted life. Therefore, trust God's word. Trust God's word. If you will embrace the Lord and walk with him through this life and trust what he says, trust his word, you won't experience vanity. You will experience a fullness of life and living. Now look what it says there in verse 9. 
Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. So this seems to be a, an add-on to Solomon's words. Now there's some, some scholarly discussion here. Some people believe this is Solomon simply speaking in third person, so you can understand how he put all of this together. Some people believe an editor came along and gave us this information so we understand a little bit more about Solomon and, and, and about this book. Uh, but the information is important. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. So we're learning here how Solomon put all of this together. He, he sought out proverbs, wise sayings, and, and, and words that are delightful. And he wrote down what the Bible calls words of truth. So I believe the book of Ecclesiastes is like every other book in the Bible. It is inspired by God. God breathed through human instruments like Solomon. So they wrote down exactly what he wanted them to write down. So they were writing down the very words of God, truth with no mixture of error. And the, the, the editor or Solomon himself wants us to understand this is God's word. The book of Ecclesiastes is a word from Almighty God. And then he begins to talk about God's word in, in some interesting ways. And he says three things about God's word. Number one, it gives direction. Look what the Bible says there in verse 11. The words of the wise, these collected words, are like goads. You know what a, a goad is or what a goad was? Shepherds would use these. A goad was a, a long stick with a pointed end. Sometimes they would even put a nail on the end. And the purpose of a goad was if you are, if you are helping sheep go in the right direction... If a sheep begins to stray and get off the right path, they would feel that poke. They would feel that goad and get their attention. they get back on the right path. They begin to stray over this direction. Little goad, goading if you will, they'd get back on the right path. So, so a goad was a, a very important instrument for a shepherd. A shepherd would, would, would use a goad to keep the sheep, watch this, moving in the right direction. That's why it says later in this verse, the words of the wise are like goads, like nails firmly fixed, are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. In this verse, the Bible calls God, who gives these words through human instruments, a shepherd. And so God's word is a word from a loving shepherd to his sheep. Now, just to remind you, when the Bible compares humanity to sheep, that's not a flattering comparison. Sheep aren't real smart, and they're really, really needy. Hey, bingo. I got a lot to learn, and I got a lot of needs. How about you? That's why our shepherd has spoken... To give us his word. It's like a, a goad. When we, when we begin to stray off the path, the word speaks to us and gets us back on the right path. We need that. I need that. You need that. 
And aren't you glad that our shepherd cares so much for his sheep that he gives us the goad of the word of God to keep us moving in the right direction? Now, you know a goad can be kind of painful sometimes, right? And God's word can even convict you, get your attention, sometimes in in painful ways. But it's God's grace that he cares about you so much, he wants you to stay on the right path and so you can trust God's word. It gives direction. Can you just imagine for a moment, just a moment, that you had to live this life without the direction, the guidance, the precepts, the principles, the truths of the word of God. Can you imagine? We would just be bumbling and stumbling around. Aren't you glad God has spoken through his word? It, it gives direction. Number two, you can trust God's word because it gives stability. Look in verse 11. The words of the wise are like goats and like nails firmly fixed. Nails firmly. A nail is used to, to, to put something in place. To, to, to put something in, a play, in its place where it will not move again. And, and that... That picture is used of God's word to speak of the stability that God's word gives. God's word helps us to nail down our spiritual life. It gives us stability for life and stability for living. Again, I don't know where I would be without the word of God. Experiencing all that this life has to, 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 to experience And not having the the perspective and the peace and the promises of of Scripture. This morning we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I I was singing it this morning, getting ready for church. Strength for today. Bright hope for tomorrow. Where does that come from? It comes from knowing what God says. It gives stability. In fact, maybe you've heard this statement. A person... Or a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to a person whose life is not. When we take the Bible seriously, there is a stability that we have. Number three, trust God's word. It is sufficient. Look in verse 12. He says, these words are given by one shepherd. And then in verse 12, he gives us a warning. My son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. In other words, the the writer here is saying, the shepherd has given us his word. Now beware, because there are a lot of other words out there. A lot of things to consider. He's saying, make sure... That the words of the shepherd take priority over all the other books, all the other writings, all the other words that you will encounter and experience. In other words, he's saying God's word is sufficient. God's word is not, not the books of humanity, but God's word. It's sufficient for what we need in this life. In other words, and this is a very, very important principle... God's word, listen to me, gives us everything we need to be saved and to live a life that glorifies 
God. Everything we need is right here in the book. It is sufficient. So let's just think about that. The Bible gives us everything we need to walk through a pandemic. It's all in here. The principles, the promises, the perspectives that you and I need to deal with this and to move forward and make a difference and have hope and peace in the midst of it all, it's all right here in the book. I don't know about you, I've heard what a lot of people have to say about the pandemic. There's a lot of talk about the pandemic, isn't there? A lot of discussion, a lot of debate, a lot of dissension, a lot of differing opinions. And I, and I get all that. But I want you to understand, the book has what you need to walk through this time with hope. Knowing that God is in control. This book has everything we need to deal with racial division. It tells us how to love each other. It tells us that we're all created in the image of God. It tells us that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. That God loves everybody and so should we as his followers. This Bible has everything we need to know how to be a good employee. How to be a good boss. How to be a godly parent. How to have a thriving marriage. How to be wise with your money. How to talk to God in prayer. What your meaning should be on this earth. The purpose God's given you. It's all in the book. It's sufficient. Listen, everything you need is in this book. Amen? We could go on and on and on. But Solomon's saying this, or the editor, whoever wrote this statement. A life without God's a wasted life. God has spoken, cling to his word. Third and last, a life without God is a wasted life. Remember your creator now. Trust God's word. And third, take God seriously. Look in verse 13 and we'll be through. In conclusion, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the point. A life without God's a wasted life. So you and I should fear God and do what he says. Keep his commandments so that we are ready to stand before him one day. Because the next verse, verse 14, again mentions that, that day when every deed will be brought into judgment. So keeping that in mind, you and I should live in such a way that we're ready to stand before God. Now, the question arises, what does it mean to fear God? It's used all throughout the scripture. What does it mean to fear God? To fear God is to live with profound reverence based upon the fact that a holy God has graciously made a way for you to be saved. It's reverence for the Lord, awe as to who God is, and in awe of the fact that this holy God has made a way for you as a ruined sinner to be forgiven and brought into a relationship with Him. In other words, a person that fears God, and I want you to hear me, 
a person that fears God really never gets over being saved. They just can't get over it. The fact that, that God made a way for them to be saved, to be forgiven, to have life eternal and life abundant. They can't get over it. They're, they're in awe of who God is and what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. To fear God is lived with this profound reverence. It's understanding who God is and what God has done. Adrian Rogers called the fear of God love on its knees. You have a relationship with God. You love him. and You're on your knees before him, grateful for who he is and what he's done. But not only does he say fear God, he says fear God and keep his commandments. That's obedience. Obedience is the way that we express our love to God and prove that we trust God. That's what obedience is. Over in John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, the way that you express your love to Jesus is by doing what he says. Because when you do what he says, you're, you're communicating, I trust that what you tell me to do is the right thing to do. It's best for my life. And I love you so much, I'm going to do what you tell me to do. Have you ever had a moment, a philosophical moment perhaps, when you're thinking about the Garden of Eden? And you think about Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, perfection, fruit, beautiful, unhindered fellowship with God. Why in the world did the Lord even put a tree there with fruit that could ruin everything? Have you ever thought about that? Why? Why do you have a, a, a tree and he says, don't eat of this fruit? Why even put that before Adam and Eve? Listen, I believe it's because every time Adam and Eve walked by that tree and said, God, you told me not to eat this fruit. I trust that you know what's best. And I'm going to obey you by not eating the fruit, thus showing you that I love you. It was Adam and Eve's way to express their love by obeying the Lord. And of course, that all went wrong, right? <laughs> but you and I had the same opportunity. We have the commandments of God. Commandments like forgive someone. Who has offended you? Commandments like pray without ceasing. Commandments like be kind one to another. We could go on and on and on with the commandments of God. Every time you obey a commandment, you're saying to God, I love you and I trust you. And Solomon says, instead of living a wasted life, a vain life, a fruitless life, an empty life, Fear God and do what he says. And that's when you will find meaning and purpose and joy in your life. In other words, Solomon closes by saying, take God seriously. He's your creator. He made you. Take him seriously. Fear him. Keep his commandments. Which leads to this question. This is for everyone in this room, everyone watching online. Are you taking God seriously or treating God flippantly? Are you taking God seriously or treating God flippantly? Life is short. 
Don't go one more day without fearing him, walking with him, talking with him, keeping his commandments. Because then, instead of a life that is wasted, you will be living a life that is full of purpose and meaning, a life that makes a difference. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.